the one story that I'll share to kind of encourage people to come out of their shell a little bit in their personal brand despite being a nine to five employee is I thought that people would judge me for posting on LinkedIn. I thought that they would think I was really weird. And I actually got the opposite response. It was actually. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. If you're like me, you've probably always seen LinkedIn as this professional work environment where you put your shiny shoes on and get yourself a job or a client. And while it is true, there is a person that makes LinkedIn fun. Lena Sasardic is a self-proclaimed LinkedIn buddy. She left her corporate world twice and now breaks all the conventions on LinkedIn, builds an audience, and most importantly, a business. Her clients claim they're pulled by her energy, and I hope you will too. Let's talk LinkedIn and other things with Lena. I want to start with the perspective of a nine to five employee. Um, and you've been in the position that you left your corporate world, but you already uh, had started building your personal brand and then came back to the corporate world. And now I've been in that position that I want to build my personal brand, but there are bosses, colleagues, other employees looking at me. How do you handle that discomfort? Do you feel like, you know, some companies may think like you're you represent the company, your personal brand is like a property of the company, maybe. How would you handle that if you want to build your personal brand, but you are employed? It's a really good question. And I think I have been in that situation in a way. So when I first quit my job, when I first quit corporate in Feb 2020, I didn't have a personal brand. I was kind of a regular nine to five employee. I had never really looked outside of my job. And that was when I started, you know, building an audience, posting content, networking, and all that kind of stuff. And then I, I did that for 19 months, and then I went back into my corporate job. But And so I had a personal brand. So that was when I went and worked in a company, and I already had a personal brand where I was creating content. I was sharing, you know, sometimes controversial opinions that were very, you know, uh, very me, but also um, very, uh, yeah, not necessarily perfectly aligned with what I do at the company, right? It was like different topics and stuff, not that I was going against what they were doing. Um, but the the slight difference there was I was actually brought on as a consultant. So mm -hmm. I didn't start out as an employee. I went full-time the following January and then I ended up quitting anyway. Um, but so I'd come in as a consultant, which was a little bit different. So to be fair, not being like a full employee is a little different. And I think the other big difference for me was I already had the personal brand. So the way that I look at it is what really is the bigger priority? Is it my mm -hmm. job or is it my personal brand? And I know that in this climate with all these layoffs and everything, I know that we don't have the luxury all the time to think about like, oh, our personal brand. But I do think that that's the better long-term play. So the way that I handled the judgment, because later on I was also an employee working at a company, you know, mm -hmm. talking about my personal brand. And I think the biggest way that I dealt with that judgment is just focused on what is the actual benefit of my personal brand and these people who I feel like are judging me, is, is that going to change my overall outcome in my life? You know, mm -hmm. and I think a lot of the time we care what people think who don't really have the the ability to actually improve our lives, right? And so it's a little tricky with the employer, but I think, you know, the other piece is I think we always assume that people are judging us. And so maybe like the one story that I'll share to kind of encourage people to come out of their shell a little bit in their personal brand despite being a nine to five employee is when I got into my company just I was a consultant sure but I was still treated like an employee I thought that people would judge me for posting on LinkedIn I thought that they would think I was really weird and that I thought I was like a show-off or something and I would really mm -hmm. cringe and so a lot of the times I would go into a meeting um after I had obviously posted on LinkedIn that morning and I would be worried that people were gonna mention something or be weird about it and I actually got the opposite response it was actually I found that I got more like respect and interest for my coworkers because they saw me as someone who 
you know, had opinions. I was sharing things outside of my job. I cared about my craft. I was well-connected. I knew how to create content. They respected me, right? Yes, there were some people who probably found it annoying. And, you know, there's always going to be those people though, right? And I think the big thing for me was it was actually, again, a respect thing, but also an icebreaker thing because I was able to create relationships with people at my company outside of the corporate setting because on LinkedIn, it's, it's a little more relaxed, right? Because we're not on the work chat. So it's like we can actually chat about something a little bit casual, right? Like it's not like we have to. So you can actually get to know people and people get to know you. So I found that I was actually able to build relationships better within my company. So maybe this is kind of like an alternative view that'll give people some more confidence that sometimes like just because no one's saying anything, it doesn't mean that they're judging. It could just be that they're silently enjoying mm -hmm. it, right? Because that was a lot of my coworkers. They didn't comment. They didn't like, and they were just like, oh, I love your post today. And I'm like, oh, really? Like, I thought that was really weird that I had posting. But they're like, no, like, it's so funny and it's so interesting and all this stuff. So, yeah, we assume the worst. I guess it, there is a correlation to what happens on LinkedIn itself as well, right? People come to you and appreciate what you're doing with your content and they notice you and they start a conversation. And actually, I wanted to know, um, is, LinkedIn is a very salesy platform, by design, right? It's a business platform. So the amount of cold messages that uh, you probably and I definitely receive in, in hundreds is, is enormous. Um, how is, in your case, do you also rely on um, cold messaging uh, to your audience, to people who, let's say, commented on your staff or in, engage with you in any other way, and you reach out to them, or you rely solely on your content to bring people and start conversations with you? Yeah, that's a great question. So... Um, I, I strive to use my content to bring people in. I don't do any cold outreach. And the reason mm -hmm. for that is because I personally just don't like being solicited through cold outreach. It's not something I enjoy. And so I kind of figure out my audience probably doesn't love that either. I also find that when you're doing cold outreach, you're only really trying to hit the people who are currently in the market for a solution. Mm -hmm. But the beauty with content is you can nurture people no matter where they are in their buyer journey. So I have people who come work with me after following me for two weeks, but some people work with me after following me for six months because they just weren't ready. So I'm like nurturing and speaking to all these people. So generally, I think using content to bring people in and bring that awareness in, I think is just a better long-term strategy. But I don't solely rely on content. There are some like LinkedIn coaches out there who are like, oh, you know, like we'll, you know, get get clients in your DMs every day. And and we all want clients in our DMs. And yes, like I get clients in my DMs, my clients, their clients in their DMs. But I do believe that there needs to be also some sort of like a warm outreach strategy. Like mm -hmm. we can't all just sit here on our throne waiting for people to just get into our DMs, ready to pay us. There will be those people but especially in the early stages of the business, I think um, it's a combination, right? Like uh -huh. I think for me, it's it's always warm outreach over cold outreach. So I will just, I take like a very community building approach to like lead generation, which some people don't really do that. They really just focus on kind of the hard pitching. When you're building community and you're just basically maximizing conversations, that's when you can service more opportunities in addition to hoping that hopefully you know your content brings some people in but mm -hmm. i think there's a little bit more work that people can do just to engage their community and surface those opportunities can you go a little bit uh, more into what does warm outreach mean to you like uh, how do you make it warm meaning you know, at what stage after how, how many likes and comments is it becoming sort of warm and then how do you utilize it in in the actual message totally totally yeah so, I mean, cold outreach is really anytime you're reaching out to someone cold, it's like they probably don't know who you are. Um, you don't really know much about them. You've never interacted with them. So this is kind of like a first touch, right? Mm -hmm. um, and people are usually pretty apprehensive. But warm is anything where people are already aware of you. And I think that's the big advantage here with content and personal branding. I saw this really great post of a woman who... Um, Laura Erdem, she's like really big on LinkedIn. She's very authentic. I love her. She's very casual. 
Um, and she was saying that a lot of the reason why she believes in personal branding, she said it so well, is because by the time people approach to work with her, she, they already know her. Like they already feel like they know her. There's that familiarity. There's that trust. And that makes this whole warm outreach situation easier because, for example, for me, it's like I have people following me every day on multiple platforms. Let's say LinkedIn, for example. So people who are following me, people who are viewing my profile, people who are engaging with my content, people who are connecting with me. These are all people who are warm because they already know me and they know what I do. Mm-hmm. And then like, you know, you're just kind of, and then you're just kind of layering on the touch points, right? Like you're engaging with each other's content, you're talking in the DMs. And I feel like a lot of people, they focus a lot on the sale and they're very just like, okay, I need to drive the sale. But the way that I approach these kind of more outreaches, community building is really putting the relationship first and and really just focusing on almost like feedback over sales. Because a Mm -hmm. lot of the time, if you just go straight in for a sale and the person says no, not only have you lost that sale, but you've actually lost the opportunity to get feedback. And, and And the feedback is also important because that's how you qualify the person, right? To see, are they actually a right fit from an ideal client perspective? And that's where cold outreach, I think, falls short because it's literally almost like you're stopping someone on the street. You're like, do you need this, you know, headphone right now? And they're like, no, I don't. And then it's over. There's no conversation. You don't know why. Mm-hmm. You don't know where they're going. Why don't they need a headphone? Should I stop this type of person again on the street? You're never going to find that out. But if you're just having a conversation, you're like, oh, like, when did you start your business? Like, where else are you marketing your business? Like, what are your goals? Do you feel like you're going to hit them? You can start to understand, like, are they my ideal client? They respond. You get more information. And then you can, through the long term, improve your sales and marketing. But the warm outreach is like anywhere where you have engaged, they are basically aware of you and what you do. And and it really depends on the person how fast you, like the beauty with warm outreach and these warm engagements is sometimes the person will just voluntarily qualify themselves because as you're having the relevant mm-hmm. conversation, they're like, actually, you know what? Like I do have this problem. Like, can you help me? So you actually don't have to sell. I think the key is to steer the sales conversation. I'm saying sales conversation because we're not trying to just prioritize the sale, but we're trying to like steer conversations with our prospects to talk about that area where it's natural that our that our services will just naturally come up or it won't be a total shock when we're like, hey, I actually work with my clients with this specifically. Do you want to chat about working together? So it's about making that ask easier like making it easier to ask for that call because mm-hmm. you feel like you already have that i wanted actually to take a step back um and it, it, it applies to linkedin of course but it also applies to other platforms where you come in with some following some experience some friends and family or co-workers in your audience and then what you try to offer or what your personal brand should stand for is doesn't correspond to that to them that's not your target audience right and you uh, talk about reprogramming your audience or uh, reprogramming your feed sort of to, to, to fit that uh, that target audience. How would you go about it, LinkedIn or otherwise, in order to do it? Would it be through like one-on-one finding the right people or just posting the right content and wait for the other ones to, to, to slowly fall off? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I have a lot of clients who approach me with these situations. Either they... You know, they have the LinkedIn account where it's all their old coworkers, or they have the Instagram account where, you know, it's like, oh, I just have my family on there. It's my new business. And I mean, I personally like to, especially in the early days. So I used to be a product manager in tech for five years. And I don't know if you've heard of the term, do things that don't scale in the beginning. Yeah. So, so I'm a really big fan of like doing things that mm-hmm. don't scale in the beginning. That's how you get the feedback. That's how you learn. That's how you like get yourself out there. So my personal approach is there is a big one-on-one element just because I think in the beginning, it's just so important to have those conversations because I think the biggest challenge that I see across business owners, if I have to really just kind of summarize it at the high level, is knowing how to engage with their community, with their audience, with their ideal clients. A lot of business owners I find are scared to reach out and chat with their ideal clients 
because they feel like, oh, like I either need to like sell to them and go away or like it, it feels like it feels awkward to have a conversation mm -hmm. with the ideal prospect without like talking about a sale because we're so kind of we think sales are just like we ask them to buy and they buy or they don't. But it's actually like it's a longer dance. And so um, so I do believe that like a one on one approach is important, but also um, complemented with the whole kind of content piece. Um, but then there's also the profile, right? And so I think um, in terms of if I had to talk about like LinkedIn specifically, it would really be like the profile, the network, and the content because mm -hmm. what you're doing with your profile is, and this is a lot of people miss this step, is when you're trying to reprogram, and this is with anything, right? Instagram, whatever. You have to optimize your profile and make it so that it attracts the right people and it repels the wrong people. Then you want to make sure that you're like replenishing your network. So like you said, there's a one-on-one -on -one element there. You're actually going out there finding people one by one in the beginning so you can understand who the right people are, having those conversations. And then you're using your content to, again, attract people who are like-minded and the thing that's particularly good about LinkedIn is the comments features is such a good way to get discovered mm -hmm. because whenever you comment, your comment also lands in the feed. And so that's where you can actually start to kind of use a bit more of a scalable approach because as you as you're creating content, you start seeing these different pockets of content. Like there'll be, I don't know, I've been creators post about something and now there's a whole sea of people who are commenting on there who are probably relevant, right? So maybe you find some of those people, you engage with them. And then the more you engage, the more kind of like this snowball effect starts of you mm -hmm. being in the right kind of circle. And then it just compounds, right? Because you go from being like your whole feed is like, these people aren't relevant. Let me add, okay, let's add five people. Let's add another five people. But as you kind of, and then as people start following you, because you have this profile and they're just like, oh, like this person talks about this in this way. I want to follow them. It's slowly like the the one-on-one -on -one piece of what you're doing shrinks a little because people mm -hmm. start discovering you. I think that's what it is. It's like until you get to the point where people are really discovering you all the time, you have to go really heavy on the one-on-one. -on -one. And then later, you can pair back the one-on-one. -on -one. I still believe in, like, I always do one-on-one -on -one no matter how, like, big I get on whatever platform. But it's like you can do less of it because, again, people are discovering you. Yeah. As a person with a background in sales marketing, I, I think that why people don't like to talk with their audience one-on-one -on -one is because they have, like, preconceptions uh, as to what the audience actually needs and then being confronted with and proven wrong can be very disheartening, you know? And, <laughs> but, but actually keeping with that sort of marketing angle at it, um, your profile is like your landing page, right? Like your value proposition in your bio and so on. What are the most important parts of profile when you optimize it and how do you optimize it for the result that you want? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I definitely look at the, um, the profile as a landing page or like a funnel or something like that. And I mean... I generally recommend people focus on kind of like the top part of the profile, anything that's like above, like the about section and above, because that's what people really look at mostly. People aren't really scrolling all the way down. Like I have a lot of people who are like, what do I do with my skills? And it's like, you know, just try not try to try to look and make it look clean. But a lot of people are not going to scroll down to your profile because they're they're busy. They're scrolling through a lot of profiles. So it's really that top part. And so if I had to kind of really simplify the LinkedIn profile, um, the most important part is, in my opinion, the LinkedIn profile picture and the headline, because those are the two pieces of information that you can see on your profile without being on your profile. So in the search results, in the feed, when you send a connection request, those are basically the two things on your profile that you use to hook people in. And, and a lot of the time people will decide to follow you or, or not or connect with you based on your picture and your headline. So like if you don't have a picture, I'm not really going to trust you. If your picture isn't really clear, if you don't look like a fun person in your picture, like 
I don't know. Sometimes I'm just like, you look really like strict and like, I don't know. I just don't want to, you know. So I think human faces, especially friendly, always is so powerful. And then the headline is just the thing that you can see about the person, right? It's really kind of like your one-liner. And I know that's like the hardest way to optimize, but just really loading the front of the headline with something compelling, something that's different, that's going to stop the scroll. It's, it's, it's essentially a hook, right? I think a lot of mm -hmm. people waste their headline with just like a title but you have to make it something compelling like what's going to catch someone's eye what's unexpected what's like a like a number maybe it's like social proof maybe it's a funny phrase maybe it's an emoji like something that is really gonna catch people in and then on the profile um the banner is really important so that visual at the top that's like your chance to handle objections, share social proof, show your personality, promote a free resource, promote a program. Like it's like visual real estate and you get people to keep scrolling down your profile basically from your from your um, banner. Um, and then from there, like obviously the about section, talk about yourself in a way that doesn't sound robotic, clearly states how you help your ideal clients. Um, and then featured section also very important because that's basically your conversion point. Can people book a call with you? Is there a free resource? Is there anything that builds your authority? Maybe a case study mm -hmm. or something like that. Maybe there's like, I don't know, a magazine that you were in, some kind of, you know, media or something like that. Um, but those are kind of the main parts. I don't really recommend people get too crazy with the other Parts. There's like a link at the top of your profile that you can add now, which I think is like handy too, maybe for like a free resource or like book a call or something. Um, but those are those are really the main parts I think that need to be optimized. Yeah, I actually wanted to ask you about the last thing. Uh, you mentioned the magical word funnel. And yeah, your profile is part of the funnel, right? And then in every good funnel, the call to action is the key. I want to know how do you look at your funnel and where does your profile and where the profile leads so your free masterclass how does go into your whole funnel idea and design sure sure yeah so um the way that the funnel works for the profile is the there's actually multiple call to, calls to action and i call these kind of like con conversion points like points on your profile where basically people could potentially convert and you can actually cut the funnel a lot because if you're like, especially if you're posting content, because again, people are then discovering you through your content, they're learning about you, and then they're going to your profile as kind of like an additional check, right? And so um, one of the places where a call to action and a conversion point could happen could be as soon as the LinkedIn headline, mm -hmm. which has happened to me before. I had one headline that was like very... It was like a unique headline. I shared a statistic and then I had a call to action, DM me this keyword if you want to learn more. And I booked a bunch of clients in January from that headline. And one guy actually like literally did not, I don't think he even read my about section. He literally just responded straight to the headline. We booked a call and he signed on for three days. So there are many different places you can actually put calls to action on your profile, right? So headline, I mentioned the banner. That's another place you advertise your program, advertise booking a call, your featured section. Again, that's literally the place where you can get people to click on an external link. And so um, the featured section, then again, at the about section at the end, you want to have a call to action. So I think it's like and at as many parts of your profile as possible, have a call to action, but make sure that like think about the journey. So for example, mm -hmm. for me, Someone's going to discover my content. They're going to look at my profile picture and my headline. They're going to see in my headline that I talk about helping service-based business owners get clients on LinkedIn while showing up authentically. That's going to interest them. They're now going to go onto my profile. They're going to look at my banner where right now I'm advertising my LinkedIn baddie program. Um, then they're going to keep reading and they're going to uh, see that in my featured section, they can actually purchase the baddie program. And so these are all, and then in the about section, you know, for this group program, I didn't do it, but maybe for the next one, it's like, I talk about the body program in the about section and again, call to action. So it's like at every point. So as the person's going down your funnel journey, like a landing page, they can either convert right at the hero at the top where it's like, I'm ready, 
Or maybe it's after they've read some a case study in the featured section. Maybe it's after they have heard your story in the about section. It's like that part of the landing page where it's like the creator, you know, the picture of the person. It's like, yeah. I used to suck at this and now I rock and that's why I help people. And you know what I mean? So those are all the sections on your profile. And I think the key is, um, you know, make sure there are multiple calls to action that go together. Again, not trying to promote five things, <laughs> but ask people to book a call with you like three times. It's the multiple buttons across the landing page, and that's why you're increasing your conversions. I was smirking because you mentioned your body program, and I absolutely love the name. Uh, and regarding that, I wanted to ask you, because it seems to me at least that it, it, it reflects your personality. It comes very natural to you. But I want to know uh, how much is your persona online calculated to stand out and how much it is just you and maybe what to do if someone doesn't have such a energetic personality as you? That's a really, really good question. Yeah, it is the one thing that I've kind of created so far in my entrepreneurial career that feels the most on brand to me and just mm -hmm. it's kind of like my 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 like signature thing that I've created. And, and it's a bit of a risk because I feel like sometimes like LinkedIn body program, like either you love it or you hate it. So it's like a bit of a risky experiment I'm running. But um, but yeah, to answer your question, how much of my online personality really is me versus like staged? I mean, it it's an interesting question because like I, I really do believe in showing up transparently. I really do try my best to show up authentically. I try to share the dark side. I try to share as much as I can. But it's it's impossible for all of us to be fully transparent, right? Like it wouldn't really hurt us, especially on like TikTok where it's just like there are so many haters. It's like there are some things that are just it's just too much, right? Um, but I do I do believe though that as a creator, you, you do have some sort of like a stage persona. I think mm -hmm. I think it's unavoidable. And actually, one of my clients does this really well, where she has like a whole persona on TikTok. It's really cool. She's she's actually a little more introverted. Like you would never guess mm -hmm. it. But in her content, she kind of comes out as this different person. And I think Beyonce does the same thing actually. She has like a stage persona because yep. I think um I think it it can get very damaging mentally if you don't have some sort of a separation. And I think it can get a little bit, you know, a little bit intense for people. So for me, I mean, yeah, like I don't think my online persona is like a hundred percent me. There are parts, of course, that like I just can't share because they're really private. But for the most part, it pretty much is quite accurate, just because I do look at my content as like a self-expression. Um, so in terms of the way that I am and the way that I act, I think all of that is accurate. Um, and yeah, for people who don't have as much energy as me. Well, I'll tell you, having as much energy as me is actually not necessarily a good thing because sometimes um, I'll get, I get carried away with what I feel like doing. So for example, I love Instagram stories. I love talking as we talked about, you were just like, I hope she talks a lot. I'm like, yes, I do. So literally like, give me, give me a stage and I'll talk for eight yeah. hours. Like I literally don't have a problem. But it's actually a bad thing because recently um, I was doing a lot of talking head videos in my Instagram stories just because I get so excited. I'm like, hey guys, like I'm going to show you this and then that and then all this stuff. And I asked for feedback to my community recently because I do this all the time, at least once a month. We're like, hey, how are you? How are you liking the Instagram stories? Like, what are you seeing? What do you love? What do you hate? And one of the women actually said, you know, I, you talk a lot in your talking head, like I skip right past them. And, and it was like, it, it stung because I genuinely love talking with my mm -hmm. audience. And like, it's like something that I'm doing for me almost more so. So it's kind of like a little embarrassing because it's like, you're the, you're the person on the stage, like having fun and people are just like, oh, can you just get off stage? And you're like, okay, sorry. So sometimes too much energy is actually too much for the audience. And I just end up creating too much because I get carried away. Um, I think so I think my biggest honestly tip is like just be yourself be yourself like I used to feel like I had to even have like more energy on TikTok like if you mm -hmm. see some of my TikTok videos from like last year 
I really like I'm starting the TikTok videos with like three tips for your LinkedIn headline. And it's like, I don't talk like that. I have high energy, mm-hmm, but I'm not mm-hmm. that like informational, like in infomercial type of person, right? But if you look at my TikTok videos right now, it's like I'm not really smiling a lot of the time when I'm talking. It's only when I get into a point that I get animated. And so even I have had the pressure of feeling like I have to show up like this clown because Mm -hmm. everyone else is super high energy. Um, So I think the biggest tip, honestly, is like just don't try to be anyone else because there are people out there who want you. There are literally people out there who would rather die than work with me because I will just like they will like just fall apart from how much I talk and they want to talk with someone who's really quiet. They want to work with someone who's more introspective. They're more analytical. There are people out there who need exactly the way that you are. And when you change that, you're going to burn yourself out because we can't be someone else. But also you're not going to serve those people who really need you because they want the way that you are, whatever that is, right? So I think just kind of permission to be yourself and know that the right people will gravitate towards that. I love it. I love it. I heard from one of my guests recently that, yeah, do it in a way that you're able to do it for a long term. Because exactly. if you're not able to keep it up, then what kind of business will you have, right? Totally, yeah. Uh, it's actually a great segue. You, you talked about TikTok and I wanted to ask you about it. Um, you seem like a video first person, maybe because you like to talk so much. And it's, in, and it's interesting that you actually talk on a lot of platforms on most of the available platforms. I don't know if you're on the thread yet or not. No, I'm not on threads yet. I'm not gonna lie, I didn't jump on that one. I, I it was tempting, but <laughs> not yet. No, you're 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 gonna be swayed. Like um but anyway, so you are a video first person, but you talk on those other platforms about LinkedIn and about being good and successful on LinkedIn. How is it working out? How is the business coming from other platforms or is it just exposure purposes and you try to drive people to your LinkedIn profile? Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. So um, so basically the way, and this is kind of like my omni-channel strategy, I guess, like across my multiple channels is, um, so I'm on LinkedIn, TikTok, Instagram, and I have my email list. So those are kind of like my four channels, if you will. And um, so LinkedIn is very much a selling platform. So that's mm-hmm. where, you know, it, it's a visibility, visibility platform too, but it's like you sell. Instagram is the same. It's your sales platform. That's where you sell in your Instagram stories. There's some visibility, of course, with Reels, but like that's also where you sell. Mm-hmm. TikTok is a bit of a different platform. I'm not saying you can't sell from TikTok, but like TikTok, the challenge is you're always usually being exposed to new audiences. And so they don't necessarily have that trust yet. And so I typically primarily use TikTok as my visibility platform. And so what ends up happening is because I have my link in bio in there, a lot of people will end up just going into my link in bio and just seeing how to work with me from TikTok. Or what I'm seeing a lot of is people will just naturally migrate over to my LinkedIn or my Instagram because my Instagram is connected to my TikTok Mm -hmm. and in the top of my TikTok profile, actually tell people to follow me on Instagram just because it's connected. I would tell them to follow me on LinkedIn, but I want to make, I like, it's very native to connect the Instagram to TikTok and you can click it. And a lot of people I know are used to following people on Instagram for TikTok. So I want to kind of take advantage of that. That was the reason I went on Instagram actually, because I wanted to take advantage of that part of the kind of flow. Um, And so what typically ends up happening is people will discover me on TikTok and then they will find me on other platforms through my link tree and then they'll get on my email list through various kind of like free resources or stuff like that um so i find that people flow to the other platforms Mm -hmm. even if i don't like i don't i'm about to start doing things in my instagram stories to try and kind of prompt people to follow me more on linkedin um but they're 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 funneling already i find yeah i noticed that you have very inconsistent amount of views on TikTok, but you are posting very consistently. Uh, do you see like one of your videos, I think went in for my standards, mega viral when it has 1.5 million views and it talks about LinkedIn. I think that's amazing. Do you see a huge correlation between the amount of views and the business that comes out of it? Or it's just conversion to followers and it's great sort of vanity metric, but doesn't necessarily convert directly to business or you cannot track it really. 
Yeah. So the challenge with TikTok is, I mean, in general, attribution is always hard in terms of like, where did the sale really come from? And and TikTok is challenging because um, videos will go off even later. So if someone, for example, applies to work with me today, it doesn't have to be because they watched my recent TikTok video. It could be because they saw something from last year, right? So it's kind of hard to see. I have to really ask people what they saw and what converted them. Um, but in terms of virality on TikTok, I mean, it's never correlated to business with me. It's never. The only time that I will ever care about views or um, like I care about engagement in terms of comments and shares mm-hmm. and stuff like that. But like even likes, the only time I'll care about that is if I'm doing a brand deal and the goal is brand awareness. Creating mm-hmm. a video for a company and they want to have as much visibility as possible, which means we want views and likes, right? Yeah. Um, but for my own content, I actually, like, it's actually the opposite. Like, viral videos, I find, um, again, mostly they're hitting people who don't know you yet. Um, a lot of the time you gain a lot of followers for the wrong reason. Like, my one, the 1. 1.5 million views TikTok video is a tutorial for how to update your profile picture on LinkedIn which is something that everyone wants to do. And so a lot of my TikTok audience, for example, is people who use LinkedIn for job searching. Mm -hmm. And so that's completely irrelevant to me, right? And so a lot of the time virality just brings in the wrong people. And um, so I'm not really like, I don't, yeah. It's it's fun to go viral, but it it doesn't translate into business because usually the content that converts is very niche. It's like a very niche problem. You don't get a lot of engagement because you're selling. And so I found that, um, like, even my coach, she signed a bunch of clients from TikTok last year and her views were under a thousand for every video. There you go. Yeah. So I think it's just reaching the right people, the right message, more important than how many people you're reaching. I agreed. I wonder among all those platforms, how much stuff can you actually repurpose? Sure, short form video you can you can do. Uh, but how much other like written content into Instagram carousels, how much do you repurpose and how much do you have to be platform specific uh, with, with your content? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. So I do a lot of repurposing. So I'll do like I'll repurpose my TikToks directly to LinkedIn, Instagram. I'll take off the watermark. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are certain things I do to make the re- like because there's repurposing directly, kind of what you said, like repurposing, like literally just posting the videos on other platforms. And then they're just like repurposing the content ideas into different formats. When it comes to purely repurposing, there are things I do to make it easier because of limitations on the platform. So for example, for Instagram, reels can only be up to 90 seconds. And so if I know I'm creating a TikTok that I want to repurpose to Instagram, then I'll just record it at 90 seconds. I'm not going to mm-hmm. do a three-minute video, which is hard for me because I talk a lot. So I always have to re-record and I'm like, short bit. Or I'm like, I'll just cut that part out. Um, and then for carousels, because li- the Instagram limit is 10 slides, but LinkedIn is like, I think, at 100 or something. So I keep my carousels to 10 just if I know they're going to go on both platforms just to make it easier for myself. But... I don't make my carousels look different for Instagram or LinkedIn. And like, I'm a really big fan of the 80-20 rule. It's like published is better than perfect. Whatever. Like they're, unless you're doing something just so bad, that's like so bad for like in the LinkedIn algorithm. I, I don't even know what you could do so bad with a carousel for an Instagram one. Um, but when it comes to the other repurposing, I, I, I work really closely with my VA on like analytics and feedback and what are people asking about and we repurpose a lot of the ideas so for example if there's what she'll do for me is if there's a tiktok video she'll repurpose that into a carousel and then she'll take what i'm saying in the tiktok video to kind of like add a caption so we really try to kind of move things around and sometimes if there's you know a message within a tiktok video that really resonated we grab that little message and then we turn it into like a still in Instagram post or maybe it's an Instagram story or something. So I do a lot of um I do a lot of just repeating of the same things that are working and just mm-hmm. kind of repurposing them. So I don't feel like I'm creating that much content that's like fresh for every single platform. I I definitely reuse a lot. You mentioned a VA and I wonder 
in what other ways is um, having a VA, a good VA, helpful? And what parts of your workflow do you outsource? And what are your favorite, of course, recording videos, but what else, like idea generation or um, analytics, what goes away and what you're keeping for yourself? My VA is incredible. So she's not really even a VA. She's like a strategic partner. It really doesn't, the title really doesn't do her justice. Mm -hmm. um, but so she pretty much is like my strategic partner. So we meet twice a week and we just execute whatever it is that needs to be executed. So I kind of come together with like the overall high level plan. Mm -hmm. And then she kind of puts together the details. So for example, if it's, you know, we're, running a masterclass on this topic, then, you know, I put together an outline for the presentation. She puts the slides together. She puts the landing page for the signups together, the emails. She kind of puts the whole funnel together, basically. Um, so she does a lot of the work with me, but it's not just, you know, an SOP that she completes. Mm -hmm. She really mm -hmm. takes care of kind of the tactical level stuff for me. Um, and the other big, big part, um, which... I'm seeing the benefits of this weekly and that sometimes it can be very humbling is just the blind spots because the amount of blind spots that we have as business owners and sometimes it's honestly embarrassing where she's like oh like how come like why are we doing two, these two things together and I'm just like I did not like I would have never seen it I'm like obviously this makes no sense and that's really valuable because we can just go down the wrong path. And so having someone as a strategic partner like that, in that capacity, being able to just see from the outside, like mm -hmm. this is too much or like people are going to be confused if we do these two things. That saves me a lot of time and money and effort on things that would have probably not worked out. Right. So I think those are, I mean, there's a million things that she really helps me with, but, um, that's kind of the the high level of some of the the ways that we work together. Yeah. Um, I know that on Instagram, um, I, I think it's a great case study of how you manage to monetize an audience with less than 500 followers. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was through your uh, group coaching, uh, if mm -hmm. I'm not mistaken, right? So it was not a not a 10 euro product or or whatnot. But that's actually that's actually my question. So a lot of people have a skill or a knowledge like you do and want to monetize it successfully with products. Uh, hell, there are people that do it, uh, make millions out of, you know, being completely um, not service-oriented, but product-oriented, sell while they'll sleep type of stuff. Well, wh while you are focused on providing a service, one-on-one -on -one coaching, group coaching, um, is this a conscious choice because you love to do it this way and you rather have high-ticket clients that pay you more? Uh, or it's just about the audience size and you're thinking, hey, if I grow to hundreds of thousands or millions of, of followers, then I will switch completely to product and I will earn the same money uh, with with less personal time involvement. So my plan is to definitely build out more kind of passive products and stuff like that. Even with the LinkedIn Bounty program, I'm actually creating like a passive version of it. So if people just want to buy kind of the material, that, that's mm -hmm. going to be an option. So definitely a fan of having, you know, passive parts in, in the product offer suite. My my honest opinion is I think it's a lot harder to sell a digital product than than it's advertised. Because I feel like so many people, and it just makes me so mad when I see these LinkedIn posts where people are just like, it costs zero dollars to build a website. What's your excuse? And it's like, it's not the tools. Yeah. Like, it's not the tools that's the issue. It's not the money. We all know that we can do this stuff for free. That's why it's so hard because now it's all about the marketing. It doesn't matter if you know how to code a website. No one cares because you can just buy a website. You can literally get AI to write a website for you. So all these things that people are saying like, oh, like it's so easy. Just build an audience and monetize and, you know, get freedom and all this stuff. It's freaking hard. Like it takes time. You have to build an audience. You have to create something that people actually want and then you have to market it. So that's why for me, I found services are easier to sell. And it, at least in the beginning, and they can be higher tickets, so you can definitely scale yourself. But I think the key here is when you're doing services, you're working with people. And again, it's almost like that doing things that don't scale, you're getting feedback, you're learning about their, you're, you're seeing different people, you're trying to see what the patterns are, you're understanding what their problems are. 
How do you solve the problem? You're learning how to solve that problem. What's the transformation? What attracts them? What retains them? And I think that's through that process. And then you're also building your clientele, right? Because you're actually serving people. Now you talk about how you're serving people. You build your audience. And I think once you have that knowledge, that's where maybe it's better to create products because you have a better idea of something that the market actually needs and how to about it because when we create something in a vacuum in our head it, it doesn't work right and and I did that like I self-published a book in 2020 it was in my head I thought the market needed it some people liked it but you know maybe I could have done a better job of marketing it. that was mm -hmm. also the issue but I think like I created it in a vacuum and it didn't work but with the LinkedIn baddie program I didn't create it in a vacuum I didn't just wake up one morning and say like oh I want to create this program I talked to my community for like two weeks, day in and day out. Like I was in the DMs on Instagram for like three hours a day talking to my my audience, right? I was like literally transcribing their voice notes. Like I have mm -hmm. a spreadsheet with everything that they said, like two weeks of conversations, their word for word responses because I wanted to learn what's the actual problem here? Why are these people not on LinkedIn? And with all that data, it's like we just ended up co-creating the program and then people bought it because it was like, oh, this is exactly what I need. It's like, obviously, it's what you need because that's what you told me, right? <laughs> like I created what you told me you needed. So I think having that community and that like audience that you can actually survey, but more importantly, you can serve them, solve the problem, learn how to solve the problem, then you package it into offers like that's personally something that has worked better for me okay let's jump to my little favorite uh, sequence that you've probably done a million times which is the quick fire round yeah 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 i have few questions and i just ask you you can think for a long time but i ask you to answer shortly <laughs> i know you love talking but i will cut it off yeah 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 please do <laughs> all please right do. let's go are you a team player or lone wolf team player Take risks or carefully calculate? Take risks, 100%. Mobile or desktop? Mobile for some things, desktop for some things. Who inspires you most? My husband. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Actor. Same here. I really wanted to be an actor. What is an underappreciated business tool that you couldn't live without? Airtable. What's your productivity life hack? meditating every morning and what does success mean to you feeling happy doing what you love with people who appreciate you beautiful and awesome i want to go back quickly to the air table uh i yeah. wonder how you how you use it and is it like uh, most people would say notion uh air table is more spreadsheet based uh how do you use it in your business or maybe it's personal life i'm obsessed with air table so I love the Airtable because yes, it's like a spreadsheet. I like creating a lot of databases of things. Mm -hmm. So for example, I will, I store a lot of, for example, snippets of good LinkedIn profiles that I see, or maybe good LinkedIn posts that I've seen, or just things that are visual things that I want to kind of screenshot, or maybe it's good connection requests I've sent that I got, or like, you know, DM sequences. I mm -hmm. do a lot of, I record a lot of these things so I can reshare it with my clients. And so I love Airtable because it lets me record things in a spreadsheet kind of database manner, but it has this feature where you can upload attachments mm -hmm. to the rows. So you can upload. So I used to use that for my content calendar. We've moved over to Asana now, but I used to use Airtable for my content calendar because I have the mobile app. So then I can just upload my content ideas with the screenshots. Or if I sent a great connection request, take a screenshot, put it in the Airtable right away. So I use it for anything where I'm collecting information. If I'm assigning people up for a wait list, onboarding forms, because you can create a form really easily once you create the table. And then the, the form responses go into the table. So I'll use that for like my onboarding applications, forms, stuff like that. So, yeah. And the free tier has a lot in it. I, mm -hmm. I use the pain tier now, but the free tier is very, very powerful too. So great tool. I have a feeling that if you monetize some of your databases, there will be probably like a ton of amazing, uh, amazing digital products, right? Yeah, that's on the list for sure. Yeah, <laughs> there's a lot in those air tables. Yeah, I bet. All right. Um, 
Okay, I want to I wanna go a little bit um, off the ground. And you mentioned something, and I want to close off with this, uh, that LinkedIn or your personal brand allows you to, how you called it, redefine professionalism. And I, and I want to know what, what do you think the new professionalism should look like on LinkedIn or otherwise? Yeah, I mean, I think the new professionalism is just acceptance. And this is something that I've even changed myself. A few years ago, I used to be very close-minded of what I thought was successful. And so if I ever met people who were traveling the world while working and maybe they weren't, you know, making a ton of money that or like the making the amount of money that they should be making at this age, whatever that is, I used to be very close-minded in what I thought was successful and responsible. So I think new professionalism is just recognizing that the existing the existing structures don't work for people and understanding that people are allowed to create their own new style of working and some of it might be really casual, right? And yep. some of it might be still very suited up, but I think it's just true openness. And this even goes down to like, you know, um, racial equality, like neurodivergence equality, like just welcoming everyone. Because I think we've realized that the way that we've been working before doesn't work for everyone. Literally mm -hmm. people who want to travel, people who want to take care of their babies, people who have disabilities. Like there are so many things that they don't fit into this box. And I think the new professionalism is almost just like everyone's allowed to create their own definition kind of like within reason as long as your level of professionalism matches the level of professionalism of the people that you're working with, right? So if someone is more comfortable being very suited up, very formal, they're allowed to do that. They're like, we cannot complain about that. It's just maybe the person who really wants to, you know, be very casual, maybe they should work together because it's not alignment, right? And so just- yeah doing what's appropriate for the people around you. I think that's kind of like my definition. I love it. Build something that we would call career 2.0. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's it. And on that note, thank you so much, Lena, for joining me today. It was amazing. Thank you. Yeah, Philip, it was great chatting with you too. Thanks a lot. Well, Lena is clearly a badass, sorry, a body. And if you want to be as well, please connect with us on LinkedIn and share a pod with a friend. That will make you a badass in my book instantly. Thanks, and I'll catch you the next one. Bye.